Team Team, Boafik, I hope you're ready to discuss Caribbean literature. I'm Mayla, a romance author from Guadeloupe. This is how I present myself today, but it took me about 20 years to give myself permission to write about my people falling in love and finding happiness. Why? Well, thank you for asking and I'm going to tell you why. I never got to read about Caribbean people being happily in love until 2019. And chances are, especially if you're listening to this podcast in 2021, you probably haven't either. That's why I decided to record my discussions with Caribbean authors who will give you an idea of their motivations and the issues they faced to get their romance stories published. My hope is for you to be inspired to write, to buy, because we're here to support, and to read romance stories set in the Caribbean with Caribbean people. On why. Team Team, Boafik. Welcome to episode 2, part 2. Today we're in Trinidad and Tobago with author Angie Peltier, and we discuss Sweet Hand the first book of her Island Bites series. In this episode, you'll hear her take on the discourse around Caribbean representation, queer Caribbean representation, and Caribbean men representation. We talked about the importance of solidarity among authors to build community power. And make sure to listen until the end, because in the last part of our discussion, she also shares her publishing story. Sweet Hand was self-published and traditionally published. So stick around to find out how it happened. Sweet Hand was actually, before it was adult contemporary romance, I had started it as a young adult fantasy book, right? There was a whole fantasy element to this. The characters' names remained the same, they, but they were they were younger. They were more like having just finished A-levels, waiting on results kind of age. Mm. And when I, and of course, Sharice was always in like the food business, right? When I started writing that, I realized, okay, I feel like the voice wasn't working and it, it wasn't flowing. And I was like, you know, why am I writing this when what I read and what I like to read is, you know, romance be it adult romance or young adult romance so I was like let me age the characters up and I got rid of the fantasy element completely and made it contemporary and I was like you know enemies to lovers or dislike to love is a trope that I enjoy reading so I said let me let me put that element because it's so intriguing to figure out how do you get these people who don't like each other to you know fall in love along the way <laughs> so that's really how that, that came about. It was, it was a, a switch from YA fantasy robots to adult contemporary. And I think it worked out better that way, actually. Um, the story was always set in Trinidad. Correct. Always. So can you describe your book in three words? Um, okay. If I had to describe Sweet Hand in three words, I would say funny, yummy, sweet. And well, the reasons for that funny because I think the banter between characters was pretty hilarious I mean I know humor is subjective but some people did tell me it was funny yummy obviously because of Sharice and her baking background a lot of readers did also tell me that they were hungry reading this and not just you know Sharice's pastry stuff because I also included 
some, you know, Caribbean food that we usually eat when we have gatherings and get together and sweet for two reasons. Because of Sharice's background as a pastry chef. And well, I thought some of the scenes between, you know, Sharice and Kieran were very cute. And I hope other people thought so as well. <laughs> That's kind of what I had in mind too. So <laughs> Okay, good. <laughs> I have nothing else to say about that because usually I, I find words that are kind of different of what the, the other person say. But yeah, mm. I, I was the same. It was more around lighthearted, inclusive and um, sweet. Nice. <laughs> you talked about it a little bit when you said that at first it was supposed to be a fantasy uh, story and then you, you switched it up. Why did you decide to write about this influencer entertainment industry? Because the entertainment industry is my favorite universe to write about, to read about. <laughs> so I was nice. really happy when, uh, because Kiran is a producer, um, Cherise, she's a chef, a pastry chef. So It's not ordinary jobs, but in the meantime, I don't feel like we're used to see Caribbean characters in this position in mm. the Caribbean. And some comments I saw, I read on, uh, on, on, on Instagram and everything later, but they were like, it doesn't feel that much Caribbean. And to me, I think part of the reason is because you described the, that's my interpretation, you describe the entertainment industry in a very contemporary way and people are, n are just not used to read about us <laughs> in these situations. The, this is the thing. I find it extremely hilarious when people say, oh, this doesn't feel Caribbean because... And this is, if it's coming from people who don't even live here, they have this, people outside the Caribbean have a misconception about what goes on in the Caribbean. And the reason for this is because of what they see in the media a lot of times, right? And the depictions of us in the media aren't always correct or aren't always expressing exactly our reality. So I'm not surprised that people would, you know, say that because they have their particular interpretation of what a Caribbean person does, what we do, or what the entertainment industry might look like here, but then you're not here, so you have no idea, really. <laughs> you really don't. But um, the reason why I decided to, you know, write that particular will influencer slash entertainment is because I am not in that industry. I don't work in the entertainment industry, but I know people who do. Like, my, my best friend is a musician, Right. She mm -hmm. plays an instrument. She plays with our national youth orchestra. Before I even met her, I didn't even I mean, we've been friends for like 10, 15 plus years now. But before I ever met her, I never even knew we had a national youth orchestra. So through her, I got to learn so much about, you know, musicians and the music industry here in Trinidad. I also was able to meet music producer, local music producers through her because Um, they worked very closely together with my friends when, when, when she was in a, in the band, I mean, she's not in a band anymore. She just plays her music solo. So learning all of that was pretty interesting. So I was like, you know, this is, this is something fun to write. And I thought it was a, a world in which, you know, it opened up 
the story for a lot of interesting things to happen, especially because Therese had an experience with dating somebody in the industry and she's like, no, I know how they are. I don't want to date them. And then here comes Kieran, who's in the very industry. So she's like, I really don't even like this person. Why do I have to work with them? You know, so there's also this bias, I guess, about men in particular who are in the music industry. You know, so I kind of wanted to play around with that and showcase that a bit as well. And uh, speaking of men and the representation of men, I really enjoyed how Kieran, I- I'm telling you the, the backstory to my question. <laughs> When I read French Caribbean romance, they always feature uh, a white man as the male lead. Wow, really? Okay. Yes. I'm learning so so much today. (laughs) (laughs) That I'm like the only one who write about Black men. And to me, I think it's because um, we have a really bad representation for Black men. And Mm. when women uh, write, start writing romance, they don't see themselves with Black men. They only see a white man. So when you created Kiran and you really made him a romance hero, I mean, he's, he's perfect even in his flows because he's not, the, he's not perfect either. But what I really enjoyed is how he tried to do his best all the time. Even when he messed up, he tried again. He, he, yes. knows, he knows how to apologize. And it's like, honestly, it's very rare to read Black men written this way in a Caribbean context. So I I was wondering, how did you come up with his character? I don't think it was influenced by anything per se. I I really, just like what you said before, I just wanted to show that, you know, Kieran is a Black Caribbean man, but he could also be vulnerable because a lot of times in Caribbean societies, especially in Trinidad, People feel, oh, you know, men have to be this way. They have to be manly. They can't cry. They can't show emotions. You're not manly enough if you you even express emotion other than anger or something. So I was like, you know, this is not true. They, there are a lot of men and men should be free to express themselves, cry if they want to without people looking at, looking at them in a weird way. So I said, I want to showcase this about Kieran. He messes up a lot, but I need to show that he's generally sorry. I'm not the kind of person who will be like, okay, whatever, that happened. I'm going to be the strong person. I don't, I don't need to apologize to anybody, you know, because I'm a man or whatever. So I was like, and I definitely step out for sure to show there are other sides to Caribbean men that we might not always see portrayed in media, be it in books or movies or whatever the kind of medium there is. So that, that was purposeful. Um, on my part, you know. I don't want people to, I mean, it's a twist. The fact that Kiran is bi, I, I don't exactly how to approach the the question without spoiling well, too Well, I wouldn't say it. it's not really a, I don't know if, I don't really think calling it a twist is really the right thing because I didn't really write it to be like, oh, it's a surprise or a gotcha. I think I put little clues along the way yes because even before he comes out and actually says this to Cherise you know he speaks about having a crush on Scott before so it was kind of there in the beginning it's not like it was a twist or a surprise or anything 
you know. And again, this was also purposeful because a lot of times when people talk about queer romance, it's very white. And it's like, no, queer people also exist in the Caribbean. So I kind of wanted to highlight that as well. And also just make it that, okay, he's bi. It's not a whole thing. It's not an issue. It's just, you know, a part of who he is and you move on, (laughs) you know? Yeah, exactly. And he doesn't die. And it's not a bad thing. It <laughs> well, really... it's, it's, well, it's a romance book. So if the hero is dying, you know, it's not a robot. <laughs> if the hero dies, right? So definitely not dying at the end. Yes. Um, mm. Yeah, but I, I thought, again, that I, I think it's important to have this kind of representation because um, during the Read uh, Caribbean Month uh, this mm. year, we had the, the queer, Caribbean Caribbean mm-hmm. yes. um, a theme and we and, and you know there's always this discussion about how queer people are usually represented as victims and as people who cannot get there ap- happily ever after correct mm-hmm. so uh, I think it was sweet like like you said that Kiran just happened to be bi and exactly exactly okay it, was, it, wasn't it. Whole, it wasn't a whole thing the story didn't revolve around that in any way he's just living his best life yeah <laughs> and um so i have a question about physical descriptions mm-hmm. because i realized that in rome in black romance the words used to describe black skin are are very limited the skin is usually mahogany or coffee roasted or there's a third term but it's always around this three elements and i'm like it's very <laughs> it's very limiting and even the 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 authors who are really prominent in the genre it's something it's a limitation for me because they don't manage to really describe the characters oh. in a diversified way but i i get it's really hard because When you look at white people, descriptions about white people, people, they usually talk about the hair, uh, the eye color, and that's it. There's no need to talk about the skin unless uh, they went, they went on a vacation and they come back and their skin, (laughs) but you don't care about how white the skin is unless it's a vampire, but that's not, um, that's not something I feel like because I haven't I haven't read uh, a book with white characters in a long time now, so I, I'm not oh. sure if it's still accurate. But it's only um, about the the eyes and the and the hair, not the skin. And well, I've seen in a lot of well, yeah. I try not to read many write white romance, but I know I see people describe skin their skin as like pale or porcelain or milky white or how, however <laughs> but, but yeah i totally get what you're saying yeah um and the thing is about that is that us persons who are black or people of color our skin tones are so varied right we come in practically any shade you can imagine anything about it is at different times of the year or in different pictures we look different. I can speak for myself as a personal example. I um, I have definitely gotten pale over the years because I'm inside, especially now. I'm not going outside. Mm. I look back at old photos when I was, you know, younger. So a little browner then. 
even so next to like my brothers and cousins i was still you know lighter than they were so and i know describing skin tones is hard but for me what i do is i i think i can't even remember what the name of the site is but there is there is some blog or something that gives you a lot of descriptions for skin tones that are not just you know mahogany or brown or whatever there's a lot of different descriptions and i know some people say if you describe our skin tone in food terms it it comes off as fetishy and and strange so it you kind of have to balance balance that as well you know you just have to make sure that you're doing everything with as much care as possible if somebody gives you feedback that okay you know this might be offensive don't get upset about it they are trying to help you because a lot of times even us as caribbean people we are trying to still unlearn some very toxic behaviors because even in Trinidad, there's this whole thing when babies are born and you know if a baby seems to be a darker skin tone they'll be like it's okay she will get lighter or something and i'm like that is very that's a very weird thing to see can mm-hmm. you imagine and when this child grows up imagine telling a young child something like that that could affect them for the rest of their lives that's also something we need to work on in the french caribbean literature so we talked about kiran so we are going to talk a little bit mm-hmm. about sharice and i was wondering um so i noticed that in caribbean literature the relationship between uh, the mother-daughter relationship is usually a very tense and uh i mean i don't have an example of a book where the the mother-daughter relationship was great i don't know if you have any and um i'm, I'm sure well, of course you know you asked me that question now and all the books i've ever read just flew out of my head right <laughs> <laughs> i would think yeah um i'm trying to think of the last uh rilsey adams she's a caribbean romance writer from antigua i'm pretty sure some of the parents in her book they all weren't terrible and here's the thing not every parent daughter relationship i write is going to be terrible it just or be tense as you said i was just one part of it because this is this is sometimes some of our reality right our parents we know they don't mean to be like this but they could pressure us a lot of times in terms of um the jobs they expect from us or especially when you get older and they're like so when you get married when you get a boyfriend or 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 if you are married when you have children or they see your cousins getting married so what you waited on these are typical comments i have gotten as well and not i'm not just talking about from my mother i'm talking about from like aunts and uncles and relatives they always want to be up in your business and always want to do when you get in a partner when you get in married if you have one if you're married when you get to children these are just basic i don't know if to say things that are relatable across the caribbean but this is just how caribbean parents are usually but i mean other characters that i plan to write in the future their relationships will be different and they won't always be tense like how street and her mother's is um 
that's just one aspect of it that I wanted to showcase because I know a lot of people, a lot of Caribbean people could relate to that, you know? Yes, and I thought it was sweet, um, the few scenes that Cherise had with her father. Mm. Because, uh, again, the usual representation of the Caribbean father is negative. And mm. um, you don't get often to see a, a father, a Caribbean father, being sweet and affectionate toward his children. So I think it was sweet to have also the father being present and uh, being there for, for his daughters. Well, I'm glad you said that because I think you are the first and only person so far to point that out, <laughs> actually. <laughs> to be quite honest, I don't think anybody has, well, at least not to me, I don't know if they would have put this in their reviews because I, I stay away from my reviews unless somebody tags me in something, I don't go looking for them. But yeah, I'm glad that you pointed that out because that was, again, something that was done purposeful. I was like, okay, so her mother is behind her all the time with these things. I just want to make her father, you know, like he's not about doing all those things that her her mother does and getting into her business. He's just like, okay, you know, that father-daughter bond kind of. When you were working on the book and um, so we talk about being Caribbean authentic, authentically Caribbean. And some people commented on how the book didn't feel very Caribbean without specifically say what, I, and I don't know why, but did, did you have a list of places or um, a list of, like you, you talk about the food, uh, did you have specific a list a specific list of the things you wanted to include in the in the book in the story and because in your mind you were like if i don't have that in my book it doesn't feel caribbean um i didn't have a list i just decided to include them because these are real things that we have for instance so like the gatherings that i put in the book whatever parties or whatever Those food, those are typical foods that we have <laughs> when my, fa my family gets together, you know, like Kalori or Jira stuff. We usually start off with what we call cutters, I guess, uh, like appetizers. And then eventually as the night goes on or as the party goes on and you bring out the heavier stuff like curry or roti or pilau. So that was just very normal for me to include because that's literally what we do when I have family gatherings. Um, and in terms of places, I mean, I just included the places that made sense for the story. I'm not going to include every single place in Trinidad because if I don't feel like they need to go there, I'm not, I'm not going to put it, but yeah, I put real places that actually exist here, but of course, also giving myself the chance to have a little creative liberty and create things that might not exist. So for instance, if I decided to create like um, an event or a music award that doesn't exist, I just have fun with it. Or I just use an actual event as inspiration to kind of switch it up a little bit, you know? But in terms of places and food, yeah, those are places that exist and food that we usually have when we have a family or friend gatherings. Tim Tim, Tim Tim,
book. Sweet Hand is your first book and I think it was self-published. So what does it mean when you're a Caribbean writer to self-publish? So, so Sweet Hand is my first published book. It's not the first book that I've written. I mean, I have other books written. I just haven't published them yet, right? So Sweet Hand is the first to be published. Um, I finished writing this book in 2017, actually. And then I decided to pitch it in DVPit, which is a Twitter pitch competition. And when you have likes from agents, you can decide if you want to submit to all of them or submit to some of them. So my agent was one of the agents I submitted to. Um, and she had emailed me back, I think in 2018. Because after she asked me for manuscripts, then I, I heard back from her in 2018, February, I think, you sent the email and asked if we could jump on a call. And I was like, oh, okay, this is exciting because she was the first person who asked me to do that. And of course I did my research on her and everything and, and came up with the questions that I wanted to ask her as well. And eventually when I decided to sign with her, we went on submission. And I feel like I was on submission with US publishers for like two years. It felt like two years because what we did is we sent out stuff to a first batch of people. Then when we got feedback, I kind of edited my manuscript based off of some of the feedback I got. And then we went out again to another batch of people. Unfortunately, did not get any bites or deals from that so i said you know what in my gut i don't feel like i want to shelve this book i am going to self-publish it so i had a discussion with my agent and she's like yeah you know you could self-publish and she told me if i wanted to she asked me rather if i wanted to also submit the audio publishers right which mm -hmm. we did So as I was in the process of self-publishing Sweet Pan and I did my, my cover reveal, my agent came back to me and said, a UK publisher saw the cover and they want us to submit the manuscript to them. So even though I was already self-publishing it, we submitted it to various UK publishers and then we had various offers and decided to go with Piacus. So I did not expect to be self-publishing Sweet Hand and then also ending up traditionally publishing it with a UK publisher. Didn't expect that at all, but, but that's what eventually happened. And yeah, here, here we are now. And so um, it's, it's self-published in like US and some other territories and traditionally published in like UK and the territories that fall under them. There are writers, uh, usually people of colors, who blame the industry for for taking advantage of their of their art they are paid less than their white counterparts and um mm -hmm. they don't have the same good deals so for you since you did both for the same book what was good about being traditionally published and what was good about doing the self published uh journey So self-publishing, you basically have to do everything yourself. So I have to organize my cover, pay for my editor and all those things. But at the same time, because you are responsible for everything, you have more control, right? So I had control over my cover. I know a lot of people, 
And I just got lucky, right? Because when we got the deal, my first question that I asked my agent, I was like, am I going to, is the UK publisher going to keep my cover? Because a lot of times the UK cover is not the same as the US cover. It's different. Mm -hmm. So that's why I asked that question first. I was like, so if we sign with them, am I able to keep my cover? Because I love my cover and I didn't want them to change it because I was worried if they changed it and I didn't like it. What was I going to do at that point, right? So Perks is definitely having more control. When you self-publish, you are the one who's doing everything. You have control over how your cover looks, the promotions that you do. But being traditionally published also has a perk of, because of my publisher, the book has a wider reach, right? They can get my book into bookstores and libraries. I, I mean, it's kind of hard for me to do that on my own. So in that regard, I mean, I haven't really gone to, I think our bookstores actually opened just a while ago because we have been in lockdown for some time. Um, so I haven't gone to actually check and see if they have the books there uh, at our bookstores. But yeah, the traditional publisher usually has a wider reach than I would, you know? Mm. But at the same time, being traditionally published doesn't mean that okay, the author just gets to lay back and do nothing. You still have to really promote your work as well because the publisher, you have to remember the publisher is not only publishing you alone. They have multiple books. So they may not always be giving you the attention, as much attention as you want. So at the end of the day, self-published or traditionally published, the author still going to have to be the one pushing out, promoting, um, probably sometimes reaching out to bloggers to help you promote your book. So another, another pro and con I would say is that because I self-published Sweet Hand, I have already received some royalty checks from Amazon, right? And I have access to see what my sales are like every day. I don't necessarily have that access with a traditional publisher. I would have to kind of ask them send them an email and be like, so can you just tell me how these sales are for, for the book, you know, to give me a breakdown. But being self-published, I literally just go onto the Amazon platform and I can see how many people bought the book daily. You know, so those are, I would say, are the pros and cons of each. And it's really uh, an individual decision. And I always thought that I was going to be a hybrid author I never really thought that I was just going to do one or the, or the other. I always had a plan. I would want to be both self-publish some things and try to get some other things traditionally published. How important bloggers are to push a book like Sweet Hand? I mean, you're a Caribbean author. Which bloggers did you contact, Caribbean bloggers, or did you reach out to American, North American bloggers, uh, maybe bloggers in the UK also? So this is what I did. When I had asked advanced reader copies ready with Sweet Hand, I sent out uh, like a sign up for the copies, right? For the advanced reader copies. And I did specify to people to let me know when they're signing up the form if they are. Caribbean, right? Because I wanted to give priority to those persons. Because I know for a fact, a lot of times, traditional publishers, even if the book is by a Caribbean author, a lot of Caribbean bloggers don't even get access to the book, you know, which is kind of sad because if this is, if you are writing a book 
about my culture, why wouldn't you want to get those books in the hands of those bloggers or reviewers? So that was something that I was very adamant about. And I mean, since I was self-publishing it, I had control over that, right? So I wanted to get it into the hands of those people, especially, and other bloggers as well. They had first priority, but you know, I, I was fine with having other bloggers, UK or otherwise, US as well, and any other country. But definitely I gave priority to Caribbean bloggers. Oops. How was the book received by the Black American audience? Well, I don't know if I could speak specifically to black american readers thus far the feedback from most of the people who have you know reached out to me either in dms or tagging me in a post has been positive like i said i don't actively go looking for reviews so i don't go on goodreads and read my reviews but if somebody tags me in a review on twitter or ig i will you know check it out and so far so far it's been good and i know some caribbean people who read it and told me, you know, they found it. It was really good to see people like them in a book or some other people actually said, you know, they were feeling down and it cheered them up. So yeah, I can't speak to black American readers specifically because I may not always know if the person who reached out to me is American unless it's made obvious in their bio or something. So, so yeah, I don't really have those statistics to see. I was wondering because when uh, the book was about to be published, there was uh, some uh, Black romance authors, like uh, I think it was Katrina Jackson, and uh, I don't remember who else. They tweeted about the book. They were like, yeah, it's, it's, com it's coming out soon. So make sure you go get it and, and stuff like that. So, well, Oh, yeah, because uh, these are people, these are fellow authors who I've been following for a long time right before so we are like mutuals on twitter so i would be excited when their stuff come out so you know they just do the same because we i read their stuff and and finally i have something out so yeah i do follow a lot of you know black american authors so like katrina and Alyssa cole and then rebecca weatherspoon and a lot of others as well so oh yeah it's just a mutual thing you know because i we just have that kind of cool author relationship yeah uh, you know we hype yeah we hype each other up and, and that's what you have to do in this industry because you can't wait on publishing to be the one to hype you up because then you'll be waiting forever so we need to hype up each other basically exactly and that's what i hope we'll get to do for caribbean authors also so we can have this community and feel like we're in this together and we don't just Correct rely on what others people do we can have our own movement when i look at the black romance community in the u.s it's amazing to see how much how how, how people are, pas are passionate and how the authors hustle to get their books published and to get um, to get their to market their books also i know the um, black portuguese speaking community also has a big black romance community and i just want the same for caribbean romance <laughs> <laughs> yeah we just we just have to hype each other up and you see the thing is a lot i mean at least this has been my observation a lot of books a lot of caribbean books that get a lot of hype is post-colonial stuff and literary fiction 
it's not necessarily, you know, Caribbean romance. So I just want people to give us the same promotion, the same hype like you would any other genre that comes out to the Caribbean, you know? We're going to work on that. So <laughs> which writing advice you would give to your younger self? I think I would tell my younger self, you know, don't be afraid to start because you can't fix a blank page, which is so true. I've seen other people say this. And like some years ago, when I was trying to finish my first book, I just literally could not finish anything. It was, I was just working on stuff and it just remained unfinished. And I think because I was trying to make it perfect the first time around, but you know, as I got older, I realized I just need to get the words on the page and then I can fix it after. If I don't start, there's nothing to fix. You know, I can't do anything with a blank page. Even if I have words on the page and I don't think they're that great, that's why you can revise and edit and fix whatever needs to fix. But just, just finish the book, you know? I mean, the difference between an author and someone who's not, it's the fact that you finished the book. It's not if you published or not. You need to finish the book first. I mean, the story, because it's, it can be a short story also. It doesn't have to be a novel, but yeah. you have to finish the story first and then you can, yeah, yeah it's done. <laughs> yeah, because I really, honestly, just for years, I was just working on this book and I was, this, this was a, this is a different book. This is not Sweet Hand I'm talking about because I wrote two other books before I, I wrote Sweet Hand. I was like, when am I going to get to the end of this book? This is just dragging on. I need to finish it. I need to stop being worried about, oh, this chapter is not perfect. Is this making sense? Just get to the end and then you could go back and fix it. I know this is not always the same for everybody. Some people like to edit as they go, but that's why another good bit of advice is figure out what works best for you because what might work for me is not going to work for somebody else. I realize if I try to edit as I go, I'm just never going to get to the end. So I need to just keep writing. Tim Tim, 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 I hope you guys enjoyed this second discussion. Let me know in the comments. You can follow NG Peltier on Instagram and Twitter at Trini Elf. She also has her website, ngpeltier.com, where you can also check out some free samples or one shots. Sweet Hand is still available, but the follow-up book in the series just got a release date. Don't Go Baking My Heart will be released on June 21st of 2022. Yes, during the Read Caribbean Month. So make sure to go and buy her books. This Caribbean women's community cannot exist without your support. Thank you for listening. Make sure to check out timtimboafik.com for more Caribbean books. You can email me at timtimboafik at gmail.com Or you can follow me on Instagram at TimTimWafik. You can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Core. And to help the podcast to get more visibility, share it with your friends, your family, your neighbors, and you can give it five stars on Apple Podcasts. I hope you enjoyed this episode. See you à dans d'autres soleils.